oh, we should always be trying non-lethal methods to deter wildlife from being in the community. Absolutely, that should always be the first step. This is Defender Radio. Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bearers. I have news, sort of. I'll have news next week when I have a bit more time. I'm late getting this episode up uh, because earlier today there were some dogs running around my neighborhood after escaping from their home when a contractor left a door open. And uh, JJ and I helped corral them away from the five lanes of traffic they ran into a few times. However, this interview you're about to hear, I absolutely love doing. Uh, Lucy is wonderful, and I cannot wait to have her on the show again. And maybe if we get a little bit of peer pressure going here, we can have her show up with some content over at youngdefenders.ca. But for now, remember to follow me on social media at Defender Radio for Facebook and Twitter and at Howie Michael for Instagram to get updates on what I'm up to. So now let's get into this very important topic. Bears are dying in British Columbia as spring turns to summer. I'd love to have a cute, chipper way of introducing this interview, but that's the sad fact. Largely due to poor attractant management, bears wander into communities in search of easy meals. An inconsistent response from various residents results in their ongoing presence in the community, and eventually, it often leads to conservation officers killing the bear for alleged habituation. It doesn't need to be this way. Lucy Cadman of the North Shore Black Bear Society in BC works tirelessly to educate communities and push for enforcement of existing bylaws regarding attractants and the human behavior that leads to these conflicts. She joined Defender Radio to discuss the reality of living near bears, the things individuals and whole communities can do to stop this killing, and why this isn't a bear issue, but a human one. Let's dive in the, uh, you know, let's start with what the North Shore Black Bear Society is. What's the story there? Well, the society was founded as a network in 1999, and that was after in one year on the North Shore, which is north and west Vancouver, so not a huge space, 44 zero bears were killed in just one year. And so a network was organized and residents were saying, we need to do something about this. It was all based around garbage. Um, so they had people doing night patrols, on, doing garbage checks and such. And then I believe it was in 2005 became a society. So we received funding from all three North Shore municipalities. Um, and we do accept honorarium too to help fund our education programs. So a few of the things that we do, we accept um, calls, emails, reports to our website. So that's attractants items if people see their neighbors leaving garbage out overnight. We've got solid waste bylaws here in the district of North Vancouver and in West Vancouver to protect wildlife. So those bylaws state that you can't have your garbage out overnight. Um, it has to be placed at curbside in the morning of collection only. So mm-hmm. there are fines applicable for that, of course. In the district of North Vancouver, it's $100. And then in West Vancouver, it's $150. Um, so we have volunteers. We've got two paid staff members. So it's myself, I'm the education coordinator, and then Christine Miller, who's our executive director, and she's been the face of the society for many, many years now. So we've kind of switched roles, and I'm doing all the outreach, and Christine works on the relationships that we have within municipality, bylaw, solid waste, and the conservation officer service. Uh, we place signs, too, across the North Shore. So 
Um, in West Vancouver, we connect with the Parks Department, who will place the signs for us. But in the district and the city of North Vancouver, we've got volunteers that will place bear in area signs. And we typically leave those up for two or three weeks to let residents know a bear's recently been in the neighbourhood and what their responsibilities are and, of course, then what to do if they have an encounter with the bear. That's what the, the signs say. And we write to everybody that buys a house here. So we've got tons of renters and we're trying to figure a way to get in touch with those people. But everybody that buys a house, we write to them and we welcome them to bear country and we let them know how it works here and our responsibilities to not tempt wildlife into the neighbourhood. Uh, we spend a lot of time in schools. Oh, my goodness. I've spent so much time in school this year. <laughs> it's been great. I think I've got to almost 6,000 students in schools. Wow. So I usually go for the whole day. It's so much fun. Um, this is all so new to me, right? I'm, I, as I said, I'm a shy person. I didn't know anything about kids and speaking to kids, but my partner's a teacher, elementary school teacher, so she's helped me a lot with that and it's just such a wonderful experience speaking to those young open minds and they have so many great questions and they really think outside the box and it's really awesome so i think i've spoken to five six thousand students this year so as you said it's elementary school mainly and i'll go in for the day and they just keep bringing the grades in and uh, do lots of presentations to newcomers to canada people like me so i moved here from england five years ago mm -hmm. um because i love wildlife and i want to wanted to be closer to wildlife and uh, I didn't understand when I moved here the consequences for wildlife when they're in an urban environment so I, I picked the house as close to the forest as I could get as high up as far away from as pe people as possible hmm. and and then there was a barren area sign on my street and I was like amazing this is great I've moved to the right place I'm so desperate to see all these animals and that's when I learned about the consequences for bears when they're, when they're sighted in the neighborhood. And that's what got me in, um, in with the society. And so I volunteered with them for a year and my role kind of evolved from there. Well, that's great. I mean, it's, it, it, there's a lot there. I think, so first thing I want to talk about is unpacking all of the different people you have to work with. This is something that <laughs> I think a lot of folks don't realize when we're talking about wildlife issues. It, you would think it's a straightforward thing. It's, oh, well, you talk to the province and the province is in charge of wildlife and they're going to have a person and that person's going to tell you what you need to know. And that's the end of it. Hmm. But it, I, it, in my experience for several years working in wildlife advocacy uh, and before that for, uh, you know, uh, 12 years or so as a journalist, I never came across a single government office that could actually like wholly control a situation. Uh, and when we're talking about wildlife, there's so many moving parts. How yep. how long did it take you, do you think, or what is it like, more particularly, trying to both keep in your head all of these different moving parts, so the municipality, uh, the neighborhood groups, the province, the various parts of the province that get involved because enforcement's environments and policy is uh, natural, or uh, uh, FLINRO, Forest Lands Natural Resource Operations, rural development. Um so how, how do you keep it all in your head and how do we explain to people that like it should be simple, but it's not? I mean, I think here on the North Shore, um, we've, we've got this opportunity here where we, the North Shore Black Bear Society, we can provide education. We can be there. If somebody calls us to let us know there's bear activity in the area, we can be there sometimes the same day to canvas that neighborhood and give people the information that they need to know. When it comes to calling conservation officers, 
There are about five conservation offices that cover the whole Sea to Sky Corridor. Um, that's from Maple Ridge to Pemberton. They serve five million people, and they're dealing with pollution, illegal trapping, mm-hmm. all the other wildlife. So having a direct, when, it, when anybody calls them, having some kind of like direct response from them usually only comes too late in the day when they have to then come and and they say destroy the animal, we say kill, mm-hmm. kill that animal. So people, it's hard, it's hard for the public to know who to call to get the information that they need. Um, for us, we've got a working relationship with the Conservation Officer Service. We have a meeting with the municipal staff and we have um, strong ties with solid waste here on the North Shore and our bylaw officers and we work together and we share information. Getting that information shared effectively uh, and timely is definitely an issue. Yep. Um, I know we're trying to get information from conservation officers how many bears have been killed this year on the North Shore and sometimes that information it can take months to get to us but really we need to have that information so that we can share that with the residents here. And so what happened in April was that a bear was killed on the North Shore in the Lynn Valley neighborhood. Um, he was accessing garbage and bird seed for two weeks, and the conservation officers came in and, and killed that bear. That was in the newspaper. That really got everybody's attention. If we can keep getting those stories in the newspaper in a timely manner, that might help people to start taking some action. So just being able to communicate with all these different agencies and such and doing it in a timely manner so um, people have got the information and can take action immediately is really important. It's something that we're always working towards. For sure. And that's getting information to people is exceptionally difficult. And I can even, so you're talking about how how many conservation officers are there right now? A hundred maybe? Do you, do you have any idea? Uh, we're, neither of us are good at this. Let's just guess. I'm not sure, but I know only around five permanent um, conservation officers work that Sea to Sky Corridor, which includes Squamish, Whistler, Pemberton, all those really um, high population bear areas. So really, really don't have enough Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's, I just did a quick Google search in the first result, which we're going to trust is the right one because it's from the government of BC site. Uh, but there's only about 150 for the entire province. And while our uh, our challenges with the COS and our criticisms of how they operate are well documented, um, one of the things we always say is they need more funding, bottom line, because that's yeah. not enough people it's on the not, ground to respond do, to these. Yeah, they, they don't have any opportunity to do any kind of education. They don't have yep. the resources and time to do that. They don't have time to relocate bears. They um, don't have to. Well, let's talk about relocation because that's one that comes up a lot. Um, yep. And we'll talk about this both, with, and I'll put out the context that neither of us are biologists. I don't think you're a biologist, are yep. you? I'm definitely no. not a biologist. I have me my either. GED on a <laughs> box right next to me right now, so there's that. But um, I... Uh, it's 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 a word that gets used so much. There's two words I want to talk about. There's relocation, then we're going to get to habituation, which is a whole different ball of wax. But when we talk about relocation, um, it is very, very difficult because, and I'll again, I'll use my personal experience, and this is very probably similar in parts of Vancouver. Uh, here in Hamilton, Toronto, um, people say, well, let's relocate them up to northern Ontario, right? Whether it's, it's a raccoon or a coyote or... A bear. There have been occasions for bears to get close to Toronto, um, and 
there's this idea that there is sort of a pristine wilderness that's not here that all the animals can go to and live happily. But relocation yeah. is is different species by species, region by region. And there is a lot of thought that has to go into relocation. So with black bears, is relocation a reasonable solution? Is it a temporary solution? Is it not a solution at all? How does it fall into that uh, sort of spectrum? Well, the argument really here in BC is that um, black bears aren't an endangered species, so the government doesn't put the time or money into relocating those animals. Mm-hmm. Um, that's So that's, that's the bottom line. And too many people think they see a bear trap in West Vancouver, and that bear will be taken, as you say, to this magical wilderness area where there are no people around. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm all for relocation, absolutely. I think that, you know, the conservation officers will say there are only a few certain areas on the North Shore that bears can be released, and those watershed areas where they do release bears, they have limits. I think it's about three bears that can be relocated into that area, so... Areas to take bears are very limited, of course, but who are we to say that the bears can't sort out that, those issues? And that's the thing. It's like we can't take too many bears to this area. It'll become overpopulated. There'll be too many bears. or die of starvation. They'll get into conflict. Well, I think that we should give them the opportunity to, to sort that out themselves. People have done enough damage. We should be moving the bears and letting them, um, letting them decide. Absolutely. And before we ever get to that point, though, um, there's two big steps that need to take place. One is removing attractants. uh, And two is how or I shouldn't say two is I'm asking, is there a two? So, for example, um, with with many creatures, we will have that sort of the group. And my uh, my colleague Leslie Sampson at Coyote Watch Canada talks about the four cornerstones of her coexistence program. Uh, which I, I I think is really the best way to put it. But you can't just have education. You can't just have enforcement. And mm-hmm. you can't just have uh, prevention. Y- you have to have all of them working together. So when we talk about these situations, the first step is attractants. And we can dive more deeply into that because I, uh, I heard about your presentation at um, Coquitlam the other night. And you had a couple of interesting points I want to touch on. But... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, it's tangents. I'm telling you, I'm all about the tangents. So uh, so we, we remove attractants, but then when the bear comes around, so this, this is sort of that in-between. We remove attractants. We tell people, don't feed the wildlife. We get rid of everything. Bear comes around, or the bear's just hanging out in the backyard. Can we do anything to say, hey, bear, this probably isn't the best place for you without having to intervene in a violent means? And by violent means, <clears throat> excuse me, by violent means, I mean... Um, you know, sedation and transportation, uh, killing, things like that. Yeah. I heavily, heavily influence residents to try to influence residents from a safe place, from a I stress safe place, from a deck or an open window. If a bear is traveling in your yard or is in your yard just traveling through, they've not found a bird feeder or anything like that, please discourage them from being on your property. You can be very loud. You can sound an air horn if you have one. If you live somewhere where bears are wandering through the neighborhood on a regular basis, it's very effective to throw water balloons close to them. Mm-hmm. Spray them with water. Just be very loud, make them feel very uncomfortable. The problem is, and this is becoming a huge problem, is this 
need to get a photograph and a video of everything that we see. <laughs> Killing yes. wildlife. The bears that we've got issues with here on the North Shore, they've been accessing food. So this is in an area, it's uh, called Rice Lake. It's, um, it's a really nice trail up in Lynn Valley. And what was happening in this area is that there's a really popular biking trail. And on that biking trail, you go very deep into the forest and that's bear habitat. Everybody sees the new little bear cub. They're approaching the bear cub to take photographs. This bear feels very comfortable around people. The next year, he's a teenager, he's a bit bigger, and suddenly people are frightened. But he has no reason to be afraid of people because people have made him feel so comfortable. Mm-hmm. He then starts approaching people. People drop their food. Okay, As much as we tell people not to do that, so many people, when they see a bear, will drop their food and run. And so bears learn very quickly. They're very intelligent. If they approach people, they'll just drop their food for me. No problem. No conflict. They don't have to get into a fight. They don't have to be aggressive. These bears aren't displaying any kind of aggressive behavior whatsoever, but they're finding food rewards because they're comfortable around people, and we've let them feel comfortable around people. And I think photography, especially with smartphones, I think that's going to be a huge, huge problem wildlife oh it, it it already is um yeah. and that's something i'll talk about with uh john marriott and carrie martin a couple of ethical photographers that i greatly enjoy yeah. that support us uh yeah. and you talk i've interviewed parks canada about this like in, in outside of banff and jasper they have bear jams where there's mm-hmm. a bear on the side of the road and everybody and their brother pulls over to get out and take pictures. I saw, it was either last year or the year before, and you may know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure I wrote about it. Uh, There's a picture of a tourist eight feet from a large black bear, uh, which is eating some grass, and he's got his camera out trying to take pictures. Right. And I look at that, and I go, like, that's a dead bear at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because whether it's walking up to cars, which can hit them, or you know, just getting close to people. Like it's, it's, it's not going to be good, but everybody wants that quick shot. They want to be a part of it and take it home. And it's a very, very difficult conversation to have in a uh, Royal Botanical Bar- Gardens park around here where I've been taking, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my little brother to do some bird photography, uh, brendansbirds.com if you're interested. Um, and the people feeding chipmunks, and it sounds silly. And I, I went off on a couple of people wildly inappropriately because I got frustrated with them. Um, but they're sitting there and they're feeding chipmunks. They bring their kids. They bring peanuts and dried fruits and things like that. And the, pe- the, the chipmunks come right up to them. They try and pet them and get the picture. Uh, walking through that trail on a Friday afternoon, I almost stepped on several chipmunks. Like they are underfoot. They are so comfortable with people. They follow you. They run up to your foot. Uh, and all it takes is for one of them to bite someone, mm-hmm. which will happen eventually. And we're going to have a problem or, and this is happening literally like three kilometers down the road, coyotes are going to show up and say, yeah. look at the buffet you've created for me. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we talk about a lot is that, you know, people feed the birds and, and that's fine. Bird feeders, they're my personal nemesis. I think they're, they're killing bears. You can feed bears as feed, not feed bears, never feed bears. You can feed the birds, but there are responsible ways that you can do that. But as soon as you start feeding anything else, you invite prey species into the neighborhood. 
And that's what we say. Yeah, you get tons of rats. Then you get coyotes coming down. Then you get cougars. All those animals are going to get killed as well if they're in the neighborhood. If cougar is sighted in the neighborhood and it stays because there is an abundance of big fat raccoons that are being fed, that cougar is going to be killed. Like yep. it's, it's just people don't understand. And lots of people, when they feed in wildlife, it comes from a good place. Mm-hmm. They want to help the animal. Lots of people just want a photo, of course. But we've also got people that intentionally feed wildlife just for that Instagram shot. Did you see the family in West Vancouver last year that were caught? Oh, yeah. An open window. Yep. Now, yep. you know, I, I went on their social media before it was made private, and they've been feeding bears for years, for three years at least, mm-hmm. making pots of macaroni and cheese, feeding them crackers through the window in the plastic. You don't do that if you love wildlife, do you? don't feed an animal plastic. So we've got all these different attitudes toward feeding wildlife, and it's a huge, huge challenge. Yeah, and I think... And when they feed a little chipmunk, that it escalates, right? As you said, it brings larger animals into the neighborhood. Well, yeah, and and that's just it. Is it's and, and I'm trying to come up with a couple of ideas for signage that I'm going to offer to pay for uh, at this park in particular that talks about the consequence of feeding wildlife because I think that's the problem is they see oh there's a bylaw well it's if it's a bylaw worst case we get a $50 fine or someone mm-hmm. gives us a stern look right that's the worst case if yeah. we get caught doing this um, because it's 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 not taken seriously and that's the, the the phrasing I've had a lot of times is um, you can't have education without enforcement so to have have all of this stuff talking about don't feed wildlife don't feed wildlife don't feed wildlife if we're not going out and actively fining people for feeding wildlife, then saying don't feed wildlife is meaningless. Absolutely. I'm all for enforcement. Provide the education. If people don't change their habits or their attitudes, then enforcement is the way. Many, many places are having high success in reducing wildlife in the in the community because they're heavily enforcing their solid waste bylaws. Mm-hmm. Work. People don't want to pay a $1,000 fine more than once. I think they typically don't want to pay it at all, but yeah. <laughs> uh, now, one of the things I want to talk about, and uh, I, I have actually asked a couple of people to look at this, uh, well, one person so far, uh, the word habituation, it, it is a difficult word because at first glance, it makes perfect sense, but it gets used as a blanket term in my experience, particularly yeah. when we talk about bears and coyotes and stuff. And it actually doesn't tell us a lot. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of uh, an analogy for it. I, it. It would sort of be like saying the car is moving forward, but not giving you any indication of its speed. Um, it, yeah. it doesn't give us any context for what's happening. So to say a bear is habituated or garbage habituated, mm-hmm. well, what, what, what exactly does that mean? So let's start with when we hear that phrase, what is usually the intent behind it? When we hear in that phrase, habituated, Mm -hmm. that is usually mentioned when a bear is killed. So the bear is habituated, which is supposed to mean it's too comfortable around people. It's not fearful of people anymore. And that gets a bear killed here in British Columbia. That's enough for a bear to be killed. So bears don't have to display any kind of aggressive behavior. They just have to not run away when they're being hazed. But as I say, all the time, like because there are so many more people living here. I'm talking about the North Shore, and I guess all parts of Canada. You know, people like me coming and invading, and <laughs> we're expanding, and we're building on, onto their habitat. 
Um, and so there are more people. Animals are adapting. Black bears are incredibly intelligent. And so they're adapting to increase human, dog, and car activity in their environment. If they ran away every time they encountered a person, they'd have no energy left to survive. So those methods of trying to scare a bear away that's in, on your property, they might not work. And we tell people that, you know, 10 years ago, the bears would probably run away. But now they're just having to become more tolerant to all the, the human noises and smells and sounds that we make. So, yeah, just being habituated, just not being fearful. But we're not teaching the bears to be fearful of us. The bears in the neighborhood, and we're either leaving a food reward or we're taking a photograph. Is anybody actually telling the bears to go away? Is anybody hazing the bears? No. Yeah. And that's why they're not afraid. They don't need to be afraid of us. And I've heard a couple of people I've not heard. I have read online a couple of commentators saying there's no evidence that hazing works. This is typically in the context of coyotes, but it's it's the same principle at play that you're making an animal uncomfortable to the point that they will leave and repeating that to the point that they just say, I'm going to avoid this to begin with. Um, So can we say hazing works definitively or is it a tool in the toolbox that should be used? And does it matter if it works definitively if we know sometimes it does? Oh, we should always be trying non-lethal methods to deter wildlife from being in the community. Absolutely. That should always be the first step. Absolutely, it should. And and bears are quick to learn if we make them feel uncomfortable in the neighborhood. And we keep doing that, and the messaging is consistent, and that's the issue, right? They go to somebody's house, they scream and panic, the next person's taking photographs, the next person, they get a food reward. So they're just getting all these mixed messages from from residents, and it's, it's confusing to them. But at the end of the day, the food reward is what they're looking for. It's remarkable. Oh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, it's remarkably like counter-surfing for a dog. Oh, Yeah. I don't, I'm a cat person. Oh, uh, okay. Mean? So dogs, they, yeah, they just jump up and try and get whatever's on a counter. Um, oh, and right, the gotcha. problem is it's an instant reward. So yeah. you, you can't like, it's, it's, it's like trying to prove a negative. Um, yeah. y- you, the only way to really stop it effectively is to not have anything there for them to get. So it's a very similar thing is if one time that bear comes through five backyards and finds food, then that's one time it worked, so it may work again. It's a very simple logic Oh yeah. Um, that they follow, I think. And like I said, it's a very clear, it, to me, it's very clear in terms of comparing it to dogs or cats, if you're training cats at all. Um, you know, we, we reward them for doing things we don't want them to do. Or we, <laughs> we reward them for doing things we do want them to do and try and redirect them from things we don't want them to do. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 it's the exact same lesson, just applied a little differently. Uh, but I think it's just sometimes just the size of a black bear is scary to people. Um, oh, absolutely. And the movies have done wonderful things um, to ha- uh, increase our imagination on how aggressive bears are mm-hmm. and such. And that's one thing that we work on is taking away the irrational fear of bears. I must admit that when I moved here, I was so desperate to see a bear. I was out all times of day and night looking for one for the first year I was here, but I was terrified to have a close encounter. And then I had my first close encounter, and I was so underwhelmed. I was like, oh, is that it? The bear barely paid any interest towards me whatsoever. It's not how I imagined it was going to be. And I think until people have had a few close encounters with bears and they realize that 
black bears, especially, are not interested in being close to people. They're not interested in being around people. They're not sat waiting in bushes to attack people. They're sat in bushes hiding from us. And I think when people learn more about bears and more about their behavior, we can try and take away the irrational fears. I've got a healthy respect for them. I'm not some crazy bear hugger, but, <laughs> you know, um, this, this fear of, of bears is something that we're really trying to to take away from from residents because that again is what's getting them killed absolutely and like i said it's the same thing with dogs it's the same thing with coyotes it's any animal that is perceived to be a threat and again i i I really want to put the mustard on the word perceived in that statement um the immediate concern is someone come take care of this problem and i i I had a brilliant thought and now it's gone it just vanished that's okay that happens from time to time um moving forward 4500 calls in all of 2018 regarding black bears and grizzly bears and we are seeing in yesterday's news so this is um because we're in the past and we're doing a weird time jump thing uh i'm referencing june 12th um by lynn young more bear reports in bc in may than in the last nine years so for all of 2018, there was 4,500 calls, but mm-hmm. just last month, it's 3,240 calls. I, 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 I don't understand why we are not changing the way we're doing things as a uh, society. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way I can go with this, this point is it's, it's, yeah, people are calling it in more. There's more people. There's less space. There's yeah. probably roughly the same number of bears. Uh, it's not rocket science to figure out that bears are looking for places to live, just like we are. Uh, so I really do think that that reducing the fear around them. Uh, oh, I remembered what I was going to bring up. There it is. I had to circle around to it. Um, I'm very professional. Don't worry. One of the comments that comes up a lot, and I'm sure it's one that you deal with, and I'd love to hear your response, is, well, we have to make a choice between people and bears. And this is, it's a a weird statement because it's never in a, there's a room, we have one bullet and one person has to die. There is a bear and a human. Who do you choose? That's not the situation we're talking about. We're talking about there's a bear in the neighborhood and uh, someone killed it without necessarily doing any prevention or hazing or things like that. Mm -hmm. And the comment comes forward of, well, if it's between people and bears, we have to pick people. Uh, how, how do you respond to that, or do you respond to that when it gets said? I've actually not had that directed at me um, personally, actually. Um, most of the people that I speak to that will approach us at our display booths at community events very much see where we live as a bear's, as the bear's home, and we are guests here, um, which is great. Um, but I know, of course, that's the minority of people that we get come into the display, and there are many residents that see it the other way around. Um, yeah, it's very precautionary, isn't it, when it comes to killing bears? It's what if. Mm-hmm. And very, very, very rarely do black bears make any kind of physical contact with anything. Okay, these bears aren't being killed because they're being aggressive. They're being killed literally for just being present in an urban environment. And that's what I've got an issue with. Yeah, I... Take the attractants away, the bear will leave. They have no reason to hang around in an urban environment if there's no food for them. They don't deserve to be killed. 
just for walking through a neighborhood, which in most cases here on the North Shore, that neighborhood's going to be attached to a green space or a creek. It's a natural environment for wildlife to travel through. Yeah, I think that's always the, the thing that hits people funny when you're reading this online, especially when you're not in the community where it happened. Because the first thing I do is I look up where it is uh, when I see something, some incident, regardless of it. I pull it up on maps. So if there was a bear in my neighborhood, you would look and you'd see very little green, right? I'm in the middle of a, a dense urban center. I'm a two-minute walk from a football stadium. Uh, there's steel mills in the distance. Uh, like if you saw a bear here, you'd go, wow, why is there a bear there? Um, yeah. People even say that about raccoons around here uh, because there's <laughs> such little green space right where we are. But yeah. when you then look at some of these communities, it is it's 10 houses wedged between like a provincial park and a great big green space. Yeah. And they're complaining about the presence of wildlife. Oh, I know. Like we have there's a, a huge area of houses here that back on to a regional park. And the number of complaints about wildlife in that area is astonishing. And people say to me, how they live at, uh, near Grass Mountain, as high as you can get, as high as the houses go, next to Capilano Regional Park, um, next to a huge river. And they ask me how to keep the bears away always. How do we keep them always at a certain distance <laughs> and away from this area? And we just have to say, of course, keep all your wildlife attractants. We go through all the spiel of wildlife attractants. But at the end of the day, you have chosen to live on a mountain next to a river, next to a forest. And that's where bears live. Yeah. So people have got the choice, for the most part, to be able to move away to a different environment where there might be less wildlife that they're afraid of. Um, but bears don't have a choice. They've got a limited space to live. They need a certain environment, and that forest is the environment that they need. One of the things that you mentioned, and I want to talk about solutions now that we've dished a bit about people not listening to us. Um, by the way, when I'm king of Canada, I'll make you in charge of the Bears for BC. How about that? Sure thing. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I still got to figure out the paperwork on it, but I'm working towards it. Um, we, you were talking about bird feeders and... This is always a difficult conversation to have because people love feeding birds. It is a huge hobby. It is, an, it, it is part of an industry. Uh, like I go to Bulk Barn to buy my wheat gluten and nooch and stuff, and they've got an entire aisle of bird seed and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm not popular when I, when I say <laughs> uh, I don't like bird feeders, but so, not as the people, the actual physical bird feeder. Yes, well, I, I think people get... They, they take it as an affront. And that's actually circling back to my issue in this one park uh, near here. There's um, uh, people will take food for birds and chipmunks and stuff, but then they also throw that same food to waterfowl. So geese, ducks, swans, mm -hmm. who will die if they eat too much of that food. Uh, yeah. So there's also that issue. But anyway, um, people will often, when they are really dug in, try and find a compromise, right? They're going to say, I'm not going to stop feeding the birds. I've been feeding the birds for 40 years. Mm -hmm. So in that case, um, and this this actually comes up, it's the exact same question I've asked Leslie Sampson from Coyote Watch Canada and others who, who work in these similar kind of positions as you. Uh, what is a compromise? Um, if so, we're not just talking about everyone with a bird feeder, but we're specifically saying there are bears in the community. There are complaints happening. What is a solution that doesn't 
necessarily mean getting rid of everything. Well, I think when it comes to feeding the birds, it's pretty simple. And we just say, leave some food out for them on a plate when you're home to enjoy watching them. Take it in once they've gone and once the food is gone and clear anything up that they've scattered around. Of course, that's going to attract rats, which then you get coyotes, of course, and the bears will come for the bed, for the bird feeders. I always call them bear feeders, <laughs> bird feeders. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the solution. People yeah. can still feed the birds but we're not leaving bird feeders out. And it doesn't matter what time of year. We're getting reports of bears accessing bird feeders over the winter. So many organizations, they say, don't put bird feeders up during bear season. But bear season's changing, and that's because we're leaving the natural food sources out for them. We've had bears that have been active all year round on the North Shore, surviving on bird feeders and garbage. So I think lots of people, they will get in touch and say, when is it okay to put my bird feeders up? And in the past, we've said over the winter, typically like December, January, February is fine, but I kind of want to change that, and I don't want people to know that we can't become complacent over the winter because bears' habits are changing because of what what we're doing yeah. to help them stay awake all winter. Yeah, that's, that's again, one of those little influences. I read an article about actually... Um... Uh, bird populations changing as well as the possibility of small adaptations uh, so we're we're seeing you know a, a microcosm of um uh evolution in and i think it was in britain a certain bird species had actually developed a longer thinner beak because it was helping oh. them get an advantage at bird feeders wow oh my goodness uh now i Right. Like that's now that's over the course of several decades, but still yeah. evolution typically happens like in eons. Right. We're not talking yeah. a dozen, two dozen generations. So it's it's interesting when that happens. But that's also similar to like uh, uh, certain species of fish uh, adapting to be smaller because they can get out of nets. Right. And pass on genes and yeah. um, uh, bighorn sheep growing smaller horns because the ones who have the biggest horns often get killed for trophies. Uh, and so the ones left to reproduce will be the ones who naturally have smaller horns. It's, it's a very interesting thing and another tangent and nothing yeah. to do with bears. So next question that does have to do with bears is about bear bells. This is something mm -hmm. that Marcy, our director of operations, very furiously typed to me during your presentation. Um, and it's like there was capital letters all over the place and exclamation marks. And yeah, I know, right? I was, I was affronted. I was deeply concerned by the way she texted me. But uh, what did she say? Um, it, it was more like bear bells don't work. Eight exclamation marks. Lucy said so. Uh, stuff like that. A couple of curse words, probably. Knowing Marcy, she's terrible. Um, so bear bells. That's something that for a long time, everyone said. Well, make sure you have your bear bell. Make sure mm -hmm. you have your bear bell. And there is there is a very clear logic. As you wear a little bell, bears hear okay. you coming, they leave you alone. But what we're hearing now from people like yourself and other experts is that bear bells may not be really helping at all. Yep, they've not proven to be effective. Of course, it's always best to make some noise when you're in the forest. That will deter wildlife. It will alert wildlife to human presence. But the best tool that you have is actually a human voice. Black bears are smart. They recognize our human voices. If they hear a human, they will usually hide in a tree or 
leave the area. They don't want to be close to us. So using your voice is the best way to alert bears, especially that people are around. Those bells, um, they're actually not very loud. Mm-hmm. You can wear a bear bell on your bike. That's definitely going to help. But you also need to be much, much louder if you're biking. We have so many stories of, of mountain bikers crashing into bears. Um, because they're so fast and they're so quiet, so especially if you're on your bike, you need to be using your voice a lot more and to be a lot louder. But actually what's been reported, and there are some reports saying that bears, especially in the national parks, what they're doing is they're learning that those, that, that signal of that bear bell is a signal of a food reward. It is like a dinner bell. Um, lots of people, they go out backpacking in bear country and they just grab a bear bell on the way and think that that's enough to deter wildlife and those are the people too that they don't know what to do when they encounter a bear and so they do what I said before they drop their pack their food reward mm-hmm. and then they leave and so the bear learns I hear the bear bell I can walk up to that hiker and they'll probably drop their pack and give me a meal I think Yogi so, Bear did that a couple of times like legitimately <laughs> so yeah, that checks out. And it, it just makes sense. Um, plus, that it is such a quiet sound. If you've got a big cowbell and you're making a bunch of noise, that's different. But your voice is the best tool. And you won't forget your voice, but you might forget your bear bell. So. That's true. Although all of the people in my life are probably going to want your phone number to complain about you telling me to talk more. So um, <laughs> just bear that in mind. I uh, Oh, I made a joke. I didn't even mean to. Because um, I said bear that in mind. Oh, I'm yeah. always doing that without realizing kids think it's hilarious. Yeah, it's fun. I like I it. Think the, the, a lot. the bear word or yeah, the word bear is fun. Uh I'm just confusing myself now by talking. Uh how can people be part of the solution in their community? I think that's where we should leave off is every situation's different to some degree. There's lots of context, there's lots of little minute differences, but if we wants to to just sort of give general advice to people at large across Canada, specifically British Columbia, of course, but mm-hmm. really across Canada, when it comes to coexisting with black bears, what are some of the big things that they can do in their communities or at their houses to make a difference? Well, the biggest, strongest attractant for black bears in the community is garbage. So keeping your garbage in a secure place and so we, the bear was killed in West Vancouver a couple of weeks ago because the garbage was in a garage, but the garage just had a very flimsy panel that the bear was able to push over, and then the bear's then in a confined space and, and was, as then, was then killed by conservation officers. So keeping your garbage in a secure place, keeping your carts very clean, washing them as, as often as possible, and bleach, something like that, bleach or ammonia, not together, of course, mm-hmm. um, but something that's not sweet-smelling or lemon scents, anything like that, that could then attract wildlife. Um, freezing your odorous organics. We do that at our house, and it helps you be very mindful of the waste, food waste that you might be creating, and it also reduces any smell in, in your home or in your apartment. So we just freeze odorous organics in a plastic box lined with newspaper, and we put everything out on the very morning of collection. So if you don't have a bylaw for that, um, I still think that people should be trying to get members of their community to be doing that because having garbage over, out overnight accessible to wildlife when there's nobody available um, to deter them from a safe space, everyone's fast asleep and it's a buffet for the bears then if all the garbage carts are out. 
So adhering to solid waste bylaws, absolutely, that reduces wildlife activity in the community, taking down those bird feeders, picking your fruit trees. Fruit trees are the second strongest attractant to bears in the community. And if you're going to have chickens or bees or if you've got many, many fruit trees, consider electric fencing. It's the only way to deter wildlife from accessing those those things. So electric fencing now is becoming much more affordable, has to be maintained properly, of course, but it's a very, very effective way keeping your chickens or your bees safe and bears away from the community. And then speaking to your neighbors and speaking to any, any new neighbors that are coming in and letting them know that we've got bears here. Many people don't realize that we've got bears on the North Shore until the bears in their garbage. So we've got all these people moving from other places that aren't used to living with wildlife. And I would love if more, more residents took responsibility to introduce their neighbors to bear country. To learn more about the North Shore Black Bear Society, look them up on social media for great content or visit NorthShoreBears.com. I'd also love to hear about your successful experiences in ending conflict with wildlife in your community. You can hit me up on social media at Defender Radio or at Howie Michael on Instagram. You can send me an email at Michael at TheFurBears.com or just tag Defender Radio Podcast in your posts and I should see it. I'll be back next week with some news about Young Defenders, more interviews with more experts for Defender Radio, and a relentless stream of adorable dog photos on my Instagram. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to be kind and to stay informed and stay strong. Stay strong.